Gentlemen, this is a football. <laughs> so those five words for nine years that Vince Lombardi started training camp for the Green Bay Packers. Every year he got in front of the guys and he grabbed a football and he said, gentlemen, this is a football. And it sounds like a crazy thing to say to a group of people who play the game for a living, doesn't it? You kind of go, why in the world do you do that? These guys, over nine years, the Packers have been a lifelong fan, so I love the Green Bay Packers. Um, nine years, these guys won 98 games. They won five conference championships, and they won two Super Bowls during that stretch. And so you got to go, why in the world would Vince Lombardi go back and tell these guys that this is a football? Well, I'm convinced that in his mind and in his heart, he realized and in order for them to be successful, they had to go back to the basics. They didn't just have to know them, but they had to be able to do them and perform them better than anybody else. When I was in seminary, I had the privilege of meeting a man named Roy Robertson. And Roy was a World War II pilot. He had been led to Christ and discipled by a man named Dawson Trotman, who started a ministry called The Navigators. And Roy, back in 1948, was the very first missionary that the Navigator sent overseas. And they sent him to China, and he spent the next 50-plus years ministering faithfully the gospel and discipling people in the faith in five Asian countries. And one of the things that Roy did, and I was always amazed in talking to him, I met him for um, just a period of one year while he was on furlough. He was writing a book on missions. And... I met him and developed a relationship, and for 12 months, uh, he discipled me, one of the great privileges of my life. He's the closest thing to a modern-day Paul whom I've ever known. And he just did, for 50 years, he took people to the basic things of the Christian faith. If you're familiar with the wheel, he spent his time talking about the Word of God in prayer. He spent his time talking about witnessing and sharing the faith in Jesus Christ and he spent time talking about the importance of the fellowship of the saints and how important it was to be connected to community and the, lastly, the importance of obedience and walking in obedience with what God has put forth in his word. And so whether you're talking about football or whether you're talking about education, whether you're talking about job skills that you need for the work that you do, or whether you're talking about ministry, uh, one thing is sure is that basics aren't just um, they're not just simply elementary, okay? They're absolutely essential for success. And if you and I have any hope of living a Christian life that bears any fruit and significance, not just in this life but in the life to come, then it's going to require that we get a grasp, not just knowing the basics, but putting them into practice as well. If you were here a couple of weeks ago, we were in James chapter 5, and we looked at verses 7 through 11, and it focused on the attitude that we're to have as we approach the trials and the, uh, the struggles, the injustices that the world can throw at us. It was the attitude that, that James wrote to them and says was uh, exhibited in the life of a farmer, that of a prophet, that of Job himself, that attitude of patient endurance. And so while 7 through 11 talked about the attitude Today we're going to look at verses 13 to 18 to talk about the action. How are you and I supposed to uh, respond actively in regards to the challenges of life? And I have a book 
um, on my shelf by Philip Yancey called Prayer. And he wrote this as he, as he began to write a book on prayer. He interviewed a number of what he called ordinary people and asked some simple questions. These are some of the things that he said. He said, typically the results went like this. He'd ask, is prayer important to you? Oh, yeah, yeah, prayer, prayer is very important to me. Well, how often do you pray? Pray every day. How, approximately how long? Five minutes, no, uh, maybe seven, seven, about seven minutes a day. And then he'd ask, do you sense the presence of God when you pray? And most people said occasionally, but not often. And he said, many of those that I talked to experienced prayer more as a burden than as a pleasure. And they regarded it as important, even paramount, but they felt guilty and blamed themselves for their failure to pray as they felt like they should. And he asked the question, does any of this sound familiar to you and me? I think in theory, we may say that prayer is paramount. That prayer is important to us as Christians, as followers of Jesus. Jesus prayed, therefore we're to pray, and we know that. But I think sometimes in practice, we may, in our hearts, if we're honest, feel like we don't really meet God's expectations, much less our own expectations when it comes to the practice of prayer. And I was wondering about that this week, and I wrote down two reasons why I think that might be so. One is whether we would admit it or not, many of us don't really believe that prayer is the key to spiritual vitality and maintaining an intimate relationship with God. And second, deep down, many of us don't really believe in the transformational power of prayer. We may pray with our mouths, but sometimes our hearts uh, secretly wonder if our prayers that we do pray even matter, do they really make a difference at all? And so James is writing to a group of people, a group of Christians who have been scattered abroad uh, amongst the known world at the time. They've been persecuted for their faith and they've been beat up and they've been spiritually broken and they're hurting and they're wounded and they're going, how do we endure these trials that are, just seem like they're coming at us one after another? And so James writes verses 13 through 18. And before we get there, let me just say, James was Jesus' half-brother, one who wrote the book. And he wasn't just a man who talked about prayer, as we'll read about here in a second, but he's, he's one who practiced prayer. And there's a church historian, his name was Eusebius. Eusebius quoted Hegesippus. Glad my name is David. Hegesippus, that's Eusebius. Um, but anyway, he wrote these words of James. He said, he was in the habit of entering the temple alone and was often found upon his bended knees and interceding for the forgiveness of the people so that his knees became hard as a camel's. That was his nickname. He was called Camel Knees in his day because of his habit of getting down on his knees so often and pouring out his heart in prayer before the Lord. And so look with me. James chapter 5, verse 13. This is where we'll begin. We'll look through verse 18. And he says this, Is anyone among you suffering? Then he must pray. Is anyone cheerful? 
Well, he is to sing praises. Is anyone among you sick? Then he must call for the elders of the church, and they are to pray over him, anointing him with oil in the name of the Lord. I think when you come to this text, there's basically, and I'll, I'll read some of the others as we progress through the, through the message, but three questions that I want us to ask and answer very quickly this morning. And the first is, when should we pray? Second is, why should we pray? And the third is, in the grand scheme of life, do my prayers, do your prayers really matter? Do they make a difference at all? And so let's look at this first one, verse 13 and 14. When should we pray? I think James says very clearly, you should pray at all times and in all circumstances. He says if you're suffering, you should pray. If you're, if you're cheerful, you should sing praises, a form of prayer of thanksgiving unto God. The word suffering that he uses there is a word that's used back in verse 10 and also two other times in the New Testament in 2 Timothy. It refers to hardship. And it's a general term of affliction, and so they understood what suffering was from what they were experiencing out in the world as they were scattered about. And so he's addressing those who are struggling mentally and emotionally and spiritually with how to, how to shore up and endure the difficulties of life. He says, if that's you, he says, then he must pray. Turn to God for comfort. I love um, 1 Peter chapter 5, verse 7. It's a verse that I quote often when I pray for myself, but also when I pray for people. And it says, cast all your anxieties on him because he cares for you. It's an invitation of God saying, listen, whatever's burden in your heart, whatever you're anxious about, whatever your cares of your heart are, he said, cast them unto God because God cares. He's saying your response if you're suffering is to pray. He says you're cheerful, if you're well in soul, okay? He says you're to sing praises. Like I said, it's another form of prayer is to sing praises, just like the worship team led us in. We're to praise God for who he is and for what he's done. And when we find ourselves in those situations, we're to give great thanksgiving to God because sometimes prayer asks for things. And other times, prayer thanks God for things. And so there's this balanced prayer, and he says pray in all times, in all circumstances. He says, secondly, and that's, that's personal prayer that he's talking about in verse 13, but he moves in verse 14, he talks about requesting intercessory prayer from other people. He says, matter of fact, in times of weakness, you're to seek out the prayer of the elders of the church or those spiritual leaders to come alongside and pray for you. Sometimes we get to a place of weakness where, where sometimes it's hard for us to even cry out or call out to God, or maybe we've been doing that for a while and we're weary. And we need the help of the spiritually strong to help us when we're spiritually weak. And that's what he says here in verse 14. He says, is anyone among you sick? And it's a, it's a word that um, it can mean physically sick. A lot of commentators and scholars would say that's true. Uh, but a number of others would say the, the focus of that word and where it's predominant usage in the New Testament has to do with spiritual weakness and spiritual Weariness. I think the context of what he's writing, I'm not excluding physical sickness at all, but I'm saying I think James's thrust of what he's, who he's talking to is people who were weary. 2 Corinthians chapter 12, you remember the story about Paul speaking of the thorn in his flesh. And we don't know what that was. Lots of conjecture, but we really don't know exactly what it was. But God says, my 
grace is sufficient, right? And he says, my power is perfected in weakness. That's the word that James uses here for sick, is my power is perfected in weakness. And he says, when you're at that place, he says, call on the elders of the church who will pray over you. And I think because he invites them to ask for the elders, there's somehow, whatever's going on, is a, there's, a spiritually, there's a spiritual condition that they're, that they're dealing with, and the elders can help with that, these leaders in the church. Just like a doctor would help with the physical, the elders in the church were given responsibility and oversight for the well-being of the congregation. And so these elders would address the spiritual needs in the church. Now, we live in NASCAR country, right? We've got some NASCAR fans here today, some. I'm not a, not a big NASCAR fan. I'll watch a race every now and then. I keep it up, up enough just to be conversant with people. But, but there's, you know, this thing called drafting. You guys know about racing, know what I'm talking about. It's where you've got a, a, a strong car, and another guy will try to come in right behind him and get up right on his bumper, and he'll allow that stronger car to pull him along, right, to sp- make him faster, to help him get to where he needs to be quicker. And that's kind of the concept of what James is saying here, is he's saying when you're spiritually weak, you need to draft on the spiritually strong and to seek out their help and specifically seek out their prayer. Verse 15, that's the answer to the first question. All times, in all circumstances, sometimes we pray for ourselves, sometimes we seek it out from other people. The second question, why should we pray? I mean, why should we pray? We know that that God says to pray. We know that we're to obey him. We know Jesus did it, so we want to follow in his footsteps and pray. But, you know, sometimes obedience, understand what I'm saying, might not motivate us to do what we know we should always. So why don't we, or why should we? And that's a good question, why don't we? Sometimes I think maybe we're too self-sufficient. Maybe we're too prideful recognize our need to pray but why should we let me just simply say I think we should pray because prayer changes things prayer changes things in uh, Isaiah chapter 38 tells a story of a, a king of Judah his name was Hezekiah and Hezekiah found out that he was afflicted with a mortal illness he was going to die and he was heartbroken And it says he got on his knees, on his face before God, and he prayed, and he poured out his heart to him. God had compassion. And you know what God did for Hezekiah? He gave him 15 years of life, additional years of life. God heard his prayer. God cared. God had compassion. He gave him 15 years. I remember back in 1996, Uh, My dad was diagnosed with cancer. They gave him six months to live because statistically his type of cancer was devastating. You just didn't have any long-term lifespan for people with his cancer. And I remember our family praying. And I remember praying Hezekiah's prayer for my dad. And I said, Lord, i got to submit my will to yours. You know best. If you choose not to answer, I'm going to praise you anyway. But God, would you give my dad extra years of life? Have grace upon him and let him live. 
And you know, my dad lived 14 years. 14 years. One shot of Hezekiah. <laughs> I was like, Lord, I believe you answered my prayer. It changed things in our family when my dad had extra time. And, and Chambly was, was reminding me, um, and just to reinforce what I just shared with you, I had the privilege of preaching my dad's service but a family friend named Reed Lehman, some of you may know Reed, he did my dad's graveside. He had known my grandparents and my parents for a long time, and, and Reed did the graveside. And I had not had any conversation with Reed about this, but he said to our family, he said, you know, the prayers that, that your family and others who've been praying for you, I believe God answered just as he did Hezekiah and gave David 15 or 14 years of life. Listen, I just share that to encourage you. God doesn't always, he didn't have to do that. But God heard that prayer. He answered it. And I want you to know God answers prayer. Prayer can change things. And we've got to believe that prayer can change things. He says it in verse 15. He says it restores and renews. Spiritual strength, it takes spiritual bondage. It takes sin and it casts it. And that sin is then forgiven when the prayer is offered. It says it gives restore spiritual strength, and that person will be raised up, right? And so prayer does change things. And because that is true, there's healing potential within a praying community. In verse 13, he talks about personal prayer. In verses 14 and 15, he talks about the intercession of spiritual leaders. But in 16, he talks about the congregation. He says one another twice. He says, what are we to do? We're to confess to one another. We're to pray for one another so that you may be healed, it says. And there's healing potential in a praying community. The body of Christ, you and I are here to be here for one another. In Galatians chapter 6, verse 2, it says, bear one another's burdens and so fulfill the law of Christ. That law of Christ was to love one another. And that when you and I have an opportunity to pray with and for somebody else, we're expressing the love of Christ. And so because there's healing potential in a praying community, we're called to confess to one another. We're called to live with an open heart, a transparency to remove our masks and to be willing to confess, here's what's going on in my life, or here's maybe how I offended you, and I would seek your forgiveness and I just want to bring this out in the open and you know in order to create a culture that lives that way there's got to be grace there's got to be a culture of grace that's willing to receive other people broken people just like me just like you the way God has received us the way the prodigal son's father ran to him with open arms and the willingness to receive people but we don't just confess and receive people in grace he says to pray for each other why so that they'll be healed and to pray for one another requires that we love each other. I love Tim Kimball's definition of love. He says, love is the commitment of my will to your needs and best interests regardless of the cost. I'll read that again. Love is the commitment of my will to your needs and best interests regardless of the cost. We've got to love each other that way. To commit our will the best interest of others, no matter what it may cost us, so that we may be healed. There's healing potential in a praying community. So lastly, 
third question is, does my prayer, do your prayers make a difference? Prayer and righteousness equal transformational power. I think that's what he's talking about in verses 16, the second half of 16 through 18. And he gives an example of the life of Elijah. He says in verse 16, he says, the effective prayer of a righteous man can accomplish much. Elijah was a man with a nature like ours, and he prayed earnestly that it wouldn't rain, and it didn't rain on earth for three years and six months. And it says, then he prayed again, and the sky poured rain, and the earth produces fruit. D.L. Moody said this, the world has yet to see what God can do with a man fully consecrated to him. And James here gives us an example of a man named Elijah who was consecrated to God. He was set apart for God's purposes and for his glory. And I want to mention in verses 17 and 18 very quickly three truths to grasp. And the first is this. God uses ordinary people to do extraordinary things. It says right there, Elijah was a man with a nature like ours. He was human. He was made out of this, just like you and me. The Bible says he was tired from battle. The Bible says he was hungry. Okay, he was, he was someone who experienced life as a human being. He didn't have a big S on his chest, but he was somebody who believed that God could change things through prayer. And he was willing to risk that. He was willing to do that. And it says he prayed earnestly, meaning fervently or with intensity. And he believed in the transformational power so much so that when he, he prayed and asked God, let it not rain on the earth for three and a half years, and it didn't. And it says, the second part, the sky poured forth rain. The sky poured forth rain. And answers to prayer are within the reach of any believer. Just that's the second truth. Answers to prayer are within your reach. They're within my reach if we pray. And the last truth is this, is where prayer focuses, power falls. Where prayer focuses, power falls. There's a story about a man named Jeremiah Lanfear. I'd never heard of him before this week. But he was a businessman in New York City back in 18... 50s, and he got burdened for the spiritual condition of New York City. And so he committed to begin to pray. He did for three months. He prayed and handed out thousands of flyers all around the city and went to offices and to shops and invited people to come and to say, I want you to come and I want you to pray with me from 12 to 1 o'clock at Old Dutch North Church on Fulton Street. And the first meeting was September 23rd, 1857. 12 o'clock to 1 o'clock, he prayed by himself for 30 minutes before six people wandered in. They decided to get together the next week, and there were 20. Week after that, there were 40. Within a few weeks, over 3,000 people were filling the building and interceding for each other and praying for spiritual revival. Within six months, 20, excuse me, 10,000 businessmen all around the city were meeting in 20 different locations praying for spiritual revival to come to New York City. And his prayer gave birth to something called the 1858 uh, Layman's Prayer Revival. It's estimated 50,000 people a week 
50,000 a week were converted. In a year's time, this prayer that he prayed and the movement that began had spread across the Atlantic Ocean to where pastors were coming from overseas going, I want to know what's going on over here at this prayer meeting in New York, and I want to ask prayer for our country. And it spread to Ireland, it spread to Wales, it spread to England, and it spread to Scotland, it spread to the Zulus in Africa. Estimates are over a million people came into the kingdom of God because of the 1858 Layman's Prayer Revival. Folks, Jeremiah Lanfear, he believed in the transformational power of prayer. And prayer changed things, changed eternity for a million people. And I just want to encourage you today to believe in the power of prayer. That it's a basic practice that we've got to grasp, not in our head, but on our knees. We've got to recognize that it changes things, and, and we've got to believe in the transformational power. We submit our prayers to the will of God. We seek his face, but he's a God who invites us. And so as we close today, we didn't simply want to, to talk about prayer. We want to set aside some time this morning to pray to pray as a church, to pray personally. Maybe you want to pray right where you are. I'm going to have a season for about five minutes. I'm going to invite you to do one of three things. We're going to have a slide. Many of y'all are familiar with the ACTS process of prayer, adoration. It's where we express our love for God. C is confession. It's where we agree with God about brokenness in our life. T is thanksgiving. It's maybe we're cheerful like James says and we want to praise God for something. Or S is supplication. It's presenting a need, saying, God, would you supply this need that I have for me or for someone that I love? And so this is going to be a time for you to just pray right where you are if you want to do that. The other is we have some prayer stations that are set up, two here and two right back here and two in the balcony. If you're at a place of spiritual weakness, You've been praying. You just need the encouragement of somebody to pray with you. We're going to have people stationed at these stations. As a matter of fact, some of you are going to be helping out with that. I invite you to go ahead and make your way to these places around the worship center. We would love to pray. That's, that's what we're here for, to bear one another's burdens, y'all. Thirdly, in light of all the craziness in the world in which we live, we've been watching the news. It's been a crazy few weeks burden for our city, for our country, for our world. I talked to Paul this week and he asked if we would specifically pray for our brothers and our sisters at New Spring Church. There's a lot of crazy changes that are going on over there, but you know what? There are brothers and sisters in Christ. There are a lot of people confused and, you know, Perry and his family need our prayers. Clayton King is stepping in. He needs our prayers. You may want to come down here to the altar and pray for, for that church. You might want to pray for our city. You might want to pray for our country. It's a tense time. Pray for our world. This terrorist attack in France over the weekend just reminds us of the brokenness in which we live. And as believers in Christ, we, we have the hope that people need. 
And I just want to invite you to come to pray in your seat here or at a station and pray for God to change some things, to change our hearts, to change our world. So I invite you to come as God leads you. Let's just take a moment. And I would respectfully just ask if you'd please stay. Please stay and pray. Don't, don't get up and leave. God and his Holy Spirit are speaking to a lot of us. Let's pray. Let's get on our knees before the Lord and pray together.